Get your Bibles and open to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Hebrews 12, 1 through 11. I also bring greetings from the men of Redeemed South Bay <laughs> to their loving congregation, wives and sons and daughters and friends who are uh, back here today. Uh, what a blessed time. Uh, what a blessed time. And, I, and, and through uh, Pastor Harry Walls, I also bring greetings who he brought greetings to us from Dr. John MacArthur to Redeem South Bay to say how pleased he is to be with us uh, and for uh, Pastor John and others releasing him to come and spend time with us. It's uh, definitely a blessed, a blessed time. So uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 11. We're going to have a kind of a one-shot uh, sermon this morning as we is our custom. We do go verse by verse through the Bible. And um, so, uh, but because the men are away, uh, the, the, the place we are in Ephesians is on husbands love your wives. And so uh, I could be preaching to Jeff Alfasa, husband, love your wife, right? And maybe Dave over here, but uh, Ray, of course. But since the men are away, we're going to, uh, we'll hold on to that sermon and we'll preach that sermon next week. Uh, I would appreciate uh, if you, uh, those of you who are here, if you are a husband, if you long to be a husband, if you're married to a husband, uh, read ahead. Look at that section, and in, in, uh, it's on the bottom of your notes there. Read ahead, pray through that, and be prepared to hear about uh, what it is to be a godly husband uh, next week. But today we're in Hebrews chapter 12. And so uh, let's begin here. Uh, just as a reminder, as we say here often, uh, this is the Word of God. This is the very Word of God. To believe this Word is to believe God Himself. To disobey this Word is to disobey God Himself. Verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this morning that you've set aside for us to gather to worship your holy name, to worship your son, Jesus Christ, through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. We ask even now, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, shine your light upon this passage for us today, that we may understand what there is here for us, that we may be encouraged by your word. Lord, help us to believe it. Help us to obey it. Help us to live it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, the writer to the Hebrews, this epistle, this letter, is a profound and deep theological letter, full of, full of rich and powerful doctrine. And I would encourage you to go back and, and reread this epistle, maybe this week or sometime in the near future. As you work through chapter by chapter this letter, you see something over and over again. We see that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. We see that Jesus is the better lawgiver. He is a better priest. He has a better covenant. He's a better sacrifice. We have a better temple, a better kingdom, a better country. We now are a better people. We're better subjects, and we receive in Christ a better life. So the message is this, don't give up. Don't give up. The central message of Hebrews is this. The central message of Hebrews is this. Don't fall away from Jesus. Don't fall away from Jesus. When trials come, when the clouds of life are dark, when temptations come, how, how do I keep my faith? How do I keep going when I'm tired and alone? I want to cry, uncle. I want to tap out. How do I do this? Well, friend, brothers and sisters, the writer to the Hebrews has a message for them and a message to us. And we could really sum it up in this. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. We're going to see this unpacked, really, in, in four points this morning. Number one, run with endurance. Number two, look to Jesus. Number three, consider his suffering. And finally, rejoice in discipline. So let's get started. Number one, run with endurance. Look at 12.1 again. It starts with the word, therefore. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... This therefore is, reason, is there for a reason, right? We always say that. Why is that therefore, therefore? Right? It's there for us to look back. And we look back at the, at, at the, at the previous chapter, which is Hebrews 11, which is known really as the, as the hall of faith, the great hall of faith. And throughout this passage, turn back with me to chapter 11. We see at the beginning, it starts out describing what faith is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. These people who have gone before us, the people of old, the people of the Old Testament, the saints that lived before us, they, they lived by faith. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then the writer goes on and says, one person after another, Old Testament saints who live by faith, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, uh, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith 
Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Sarah. Verse 13, he says, These all died in faith, having not received the things promised, having not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So, so, so we, we see, he continues on in verse 17, by faith Abraham again, and by faith Jacob, by faith Moses. If we look on uh, page, uh, or not page, uh, verse, uh, verse 29, uh, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. Verse 32, what more shall I say? It's like he's run out of things to say, but he, he's got to remind us. By faith, uh, he says, for time would, not, would fail me to tell you of, of Gideon and, and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, all these who, who conquered kingdoms, who enforced justice, who obtained promises, who stopped the mouth of lions, who quenched the power of fire, who escaped the edge of the sword, who were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And he goes on and on. That's why the therefore is therefore. <laughs> to say, look, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings that clings so closely. We look, we don't, we don't know necessarily that these saints are watching us here. He's really, he's really telling us about them to inspire us to remember them, that they have gone before us, they have lived by faith, and so you can too. In a way, we can metaphorically look at the stands. Those who have crossed the finish line then, then congregate in the stands and, and, in, and in some, like I said, metaphorical way are watching us as well. I can remember when I was, uh, I think I was in second grade in Pottsboro, Texas, there was going to be a track meet. And uh, we never had track meets for second graders, right? But there was going to be like once a year, we're going to have a big track meet. And so I was going to run the 50-yard dash, you know, and I was so excited. Other kids were doing shot put. You may have second grader shot put. <laughs> you know, shot put, throw the disc, all these things. But I was going to do the 50-yard dash. So my parents bought me some little shorts, you know, for that and a special T-shirt. And I, I got there. I had never even practiced running the 50-yard dash. We just all showed up, right? And they had, they had a little gun and they had the whole thing at the, at the, uh, the track meet there at this, uh, the, the, the track at the local school, at the high school. And the, so of course, the crowd is all filled with parents in the stands and I'm standing there ready to go, and my dad has talked to me about how to take off and how to run. And, and so sure enough, the gun goes off, and I kind of start running. But then what do I do? I look to the stands. Where's, I, you know, I can't find, I'm trying to see, can they see me? Where's my mom? Where's my dad? And I'm looking, I'm looking, the kids are all running, you know. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, and all of a sudden I see my mom. I can't, and she yells, run, Kevin, run! <laughs> right? And, uh, I took off. I'd like to say that I won that, but, uh, <laughs> but look, brothers and sisters, the writer of the Hebrews is telling us, look at these who have gone before you. All these have gone before you. By faith, they have fought the good fight. They have finished the race. Look to them. They're witnesses. They're witnesses of Christ. They have stood for him and they know the reality of the race. And so we can remember then to do this as well. The writer tells us to do this when we run. He says, lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. Can you imagine running 
a marathon with a huge backpack on. I'm going to backpack, and, and then what else you need? Well, I need a backpack, and I also need my water bottle, and, a, and yeah, actually, I need a ghetto blaster. I'm going to take that with me because that will inspire me on the, you know, I'm gonna, you, know what, you know, what are all the things? And, and, and you're trying to run a marathon with all this weight, all this weight. No, he says, he says lay it aside. The question for us is, is, is when we run this wet race, brothers and sisters, what is, what's weighing you down? What is weighing you down? What is encumbering you? What is, what is keeping you from running with agility and running with speed? Lay that aside. You know what it is. You lay that aside. Put it down and run the race. Run the race. He also says this then, and lay aside every sin. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. It's like, it's like uh, tripping you up. Right, I was at, at school just uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I know Debbie knows this, so I got a friend here today. So, so the, the kids come out, and we always tell them at school, the one thing that you do at elementary school is say, don't run. <laughs> don't run. You can run on the playground, but when, they, when, when you let the little kindergartners go and they start heading, and so this little dude is running, and he's got his backpack, and the, the, the strap is hanging down, and I can see him, and I, I saw it getting ready to happen, right, because it's just down there flapping along, flapping along, all of a sudden it, 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 it gains purchase upon his foot, right? And there, there he goes, you know, skids into home plate almost. He was okay. But isn't that a way it is with our, with our sin, right? Our sin, it, it is it's clinging so closely. And so he said, lay that aside. Lay aside the sin which clings so closely and run with endurance. Whatever sin it is that you're holding on to, whatever sin that's, that's clinging so closely, that's tripping you up, that's keeping you from running with endurance, lay it aside. Repent and turn your heart to Christ. Turn your heart to Christ. And then he says this, run with endurance. Run with endurance the, the, the race that is set before us. Um, in California, you may not realize this, some of you may, but there are 15 mountains in California that are over 14,000 feet. So 15 mountains that are over 14,000 feet, they call them the 14ers, and uh, there are those who have set records going up and running and, and climbing these mountains. In 2002, a gentleman named Jack McBroom climbed all 15 of these mountains in four days, 11 hours, and 19 minutes. Okay, so he's running up to the top of the mountain, coming down, going to the next one, going to the next one. He actually had to hop in his car and drive to one of these other ones. But all 15, he broke the record in 2002. You can see his you know, face in uh, Sports Illustrated and other places where they keep these kind of records. And he talked about how he had to train. He had to train. He had to have good lungs. I mean, his legs, you know, super strong. Uh, he had to train. He had to keep going. He had to do what? He had to endure he had to endure. He had to persevere. He had to not give up. So the question is, when we, when we endure as well, when we endure through this race, where is our focus as you're running the race? Where is your focus? This endurance athlete had to, had to keep his mind on that 15th mountain, the last one. I can do it. I've got to keep going. But where is our focus as we're running this race as Christians? Is it, is, it, is it the world? Is it the track? Are we looking down? Or is it our feet? Are we looking to the left or looking to the right? No. 
No, this brings us to point two. We, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Look at verse two. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus. So he's saying what? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus as you're running this race. We sing the song often, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Many of us sometimes, I think, are like, are like uh, my little dog with a squirrel or the raccoon, right? Whenever that something runs out there, we're looking, look at that, look at this, look at that, squirrel, squirrel, right? No, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus to steadfastly gaze upon our Savior and keep him in our focus as we're running this race. Why? Because he is the founder. He is the source. He is the pioneer. He is the exemplar. He is the one who, who created the whole thing. He's the founder of this race. He has set it for us. And also, Hebrews tells us, he is the perfecter. Not only the founder, but the one who will complete and has completed and perfected our faith. Why do we look to Jesus? Because he has crossed the finish line. He has crossed the finish line. How? It says it right here, doesn't it? Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brother, sister, you can run the race because Jesus has completed his. You can run the race because Jesus has completed his. And really, that's the only way you can run this race. The only way we can endure is because he has endured. Jesus was able to endure the cross because he saw through the shame to the joy. He saw through the shame to the joy. What does it say? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus was able to endure because he saw through the shame to the joy. He suffered. Uh, the suffering would, would, would bring joy. He saw that. He saw that the suffering would, would reveal joy. The suffering would, would not stop his joy. And without the suffering, there would be no joy. Without Christ's suffering, there would be no joy for himself or for us as well. Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners. And this was the only way. This was the only way. Look with me at uh, 1, Peter, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9 says this. When it refers to our own trials, our own grief, the endurance we must, uh, the things we must go through and endure. It says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in result to pr in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus came into the world to, to save us. And, and so, yes, we may have trials and we may be facing trials right now. But he says here, we have to tra- face trials maybe for a little while. Maybe for a little while, but, but what happens? We end up receiving our great reward because of what Christ has done for us. So it's worth suffering. It's worth enduring because we will be in glory with Jesus Christ. Amen? Number three, consider his suffering. Consider his suffering. Look back at uh, Hebrews 12, 3 to 4. It says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Consider his suffering. One of the best places to, to do this would be Isaiah fifty two thirteen. Listen, you can flip over there if you'd like to, but listen to me as I read Isaiah 50, 52 through 13, where Isaiah demonstrates and uh, expounds upon the great suffering that our Savior did for us upon the cross. He says this, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told, they shall see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the, Lord, the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the sh- like like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he had poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered among the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. We have to 
read that, brothers and sisters, and, and, and think deeply about the suffering of Jesus Christ, what He did for us. Our sin is costly. Our sin is costly, and we sing about it over and over today in our, in our songs. It, it costs so much, but, but His grace is so much greater. But we can't think of grace as just something that says, ah, oh, no big deal. It really bothers me today when you tell someone, uh, I'm sorry, right, or whatever, they say, no problem, right? Or, you, or if you say thank you too, right, thank you, no problem, or no worries. I want to tell them, I'm not worried. <laughs> I'm not worried about anything. I'm thanking you. I'm not worried. Or, or thank you, no problem, right? When we say, you know, I'm sorry, it's okay. No, it's not okay, right? Our sin cost our Savior his very life. He bore the sin of many. He bore the sin of redeemed South Bay upon himself. Every idle thought, every, every lustful thought, every, every gossipy word, every backbiting thing, every bitterness between a husband and a wife or a son and a daughter or a father and a son, or a, you know what I'm saying. Every one of those was laid upon our Savior at the cross. And here he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So we must, when we're running this, this race of faith, the, the writer of the Hebrews says you've got to consider his suffering. Consider it. And because of that, know this is why I'm running. I'm running because he's made me able to run this race. He's paid the price for my sin and paid it in full, as we say here often, past, present, and future. And then we have to remember this. If he ran the race for me, if he ran the race for me, can't I run the race for him? It's just too hard. It's just too boring to read the Bible. Come and hear Kevin yell at me on Sundays. Come on, please. You know, Pastor Kenny, he uses all those big words, right? It's too much, right? No, you know, it's too hard to be a good, a good employee. It's too hard to be a good boss. It's too hard to, to love my husband, to love my wife. It's just too much. You don't, if, you just, if, you, if you understand what I was going through, Kevin, you would know. I don't understand. But guess what? Someone does. That's Jesus Christ who suffered for you. And because he suffered for you, can't you suffer for him? If he ran the race for me, can I run, the, can I run it for him? If he suffered for me, can't I suffer for him? Don't grow weary and lose heart. Don't grow weary, he says. Don't grow weary and lose heart because you are not suffering alone. We've said it many times. Jesus Christ suffered, has suffered immeasurably more than any of us will ever suffer. He did it for us and for his glory. Verse 4 says this. Another just little reminder that the Hebrew writer has for us. He says, and, and just remember, it's almost like a parenthetical comment almost. And besides considering his suffering, just remember this. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What is he saying? He's saying you're still alive. <laughs> you may have resisted. You may have had some suffering, but no one's taken your head yet. Now, I want to add this. You've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood yet. You might. You might. And that's what Christianity calls us to. Right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, whenever God bids a man, he bids him come die. 
And there would be, 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 be the sense of dying to ourselves, yes. But also, he may ask us to actually die, die. <laughs> to die, really. To die for Christ. We live for him. Can we die for him as well? But here's a more profound question that I, that I have. Most of us, I think, would say, yes, I will die for Christ. I would not forsake my profession of faith. I'll, I will die for him. But here's my question for you, American Christian, in this day and age. Are you willing to be embarrassed for him? Oh, I will die for him. I would die for Christ. Yes, I would. Are you willing to be embarrassed? Are you willing to be called names? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Before the firing squad, yes, I'm willing to go there. But how about just before my friends, before my coworkers? We're, we're in a time in our land now where many of us will be called to be embarrassed for Christ, to take a stand for Christ and be able to say, no, I, I can't do that because I love Jesus, because I love Jesus, and he suffered for me, and so, so I'm not willing to go there. I'm going to stand for Christ. And that's what it means to keep running this race. And, you know, some of the races, I think the Christian race is more like hurdles, right? You know, it's cross-country. It's not just this one flat path that goes all the way straight, right? No, there's, there's hurdles in this race. And you're running along, oh, my goodness, you know, there's things jumping at it. It's more like these uh, crazy things that you did. I don't know what it's called, those crazy run things. Yeah, mud and, you know, dogs and snakes and things like that. You know, I don't know what they do. Dragons. All sorts of things, right? We don't know what, what God is going to place in our path, but we have to be ready to, 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 to go through these obstacles, right? Point four, rejoice in discipline. Rejoice in discipline. Then the Hebrew writer takes a little bit of a turn in a way, and he, he reminds these, these readers, and he reminds us as well, that we should rejoice in discipline. He says this, look at verses 5 and 11 again. He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He's reminding them that, yes, you're going through some suffering, you're going through trials, you're going through challenges. Look to Jesus, repent of your sin, throw off these weights that are, that are, that are, that are slowing you down, and also do this. Remember discipline. Have you considered this? Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, maybe the, way, the reason you're going through some suffering, some trials, is because God loves you so much that he's actually disciplining you. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he, he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate sons. Besides this, we've all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for his good that we may share in his holiness. This discipline is not really meant to be seen as punitive. It's not God necessarily punishing us, but disciplining us. 
It, it is, it's, it's corrective. It's educative. It's training. It's equipping. It's preparing. This discipline is not God's punishment, but God's fatherly discipline. You are a true child of God if He disciplines you. You're a true child of God if God is disciplining you. And what does he say? He says, because if he's not disciplining you, then you are a, and I, when I preached it at Loft, I said, you know, the bad word, bastard, right? <laughs> you're, you're, you're an illegitimate child. How many times have, in my career as an educator, have I sometimes seen a kid just who's out there doing their own thing, doing whatever they want? I don't look at that child who's doing whatever he wants and acting however he wants and going wherever he wants, and, and, and I don't look at that child and say, oh, wow, man, how that, that child is so loved. They are so loved. I can tell because those parents let him do whatever he wants. No, I think just the opposite. That child, those parents do not love that child because they don't love him enough to tell him, no, let me discipline you. Let me help you. Let me train you. In righteousness, let me teach you. Let me pull you aside, young men, and teach you how to act. You see, discipline, discipline also equals freedom. The more disciplined you are, the more free you will be. And let me give you an illustration of that. The world's view of freedom right now is to do whatever you want. I can just do whatever I want. And so in the world's view of freedom... I am free. I am free to, to play the piano. And I, I am. I could walk right over there and make a whole bunch of noise. I don't know anything about playing a piano except that's a big black thing with a lot of keys on it, right? There's some black ones and some white ones. And Dennis does his thing, right? I could go over there, and I, you know, but, but you're free. You are free to play it. Yes, you are. You are totally free. If I go over there and play, I am free to only do one thing, make noise. The person who is free to play the piano is that man or woman who has been disciplined to practice and practice and practice and practice. And then with that discipline and training comes freedom. And we're all amazed when some person can just come and sit down and go, you know, and you're like, my goodness, that is amazing. Discipline, God's discipline gives us freedom to live the way God has has really taught us to live. And yes, He does correct us. He does train us. I will never forget in, 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 my, in my life growing up, I grew up in a, in a godly home with a mother and father who did love us and who believed the Word of God. My brother, who's younger than me, who's Pastor Garen, uh, is six years my younger. And uh, he went through a little stage when he was about in uh, probably a sophomore year in high school. Started getting a little full of himself. And um, if he told you this story, he would tell you. This was a turning point in his life. So I'm going to tell you that up front before I tell you what happened. <laughs> he was sitting on the floor watching TV in our little house in Texas. My dad was, has always been a working man. And at that time, he had a body shop. So my dad would often come home, whatever color of the car he was painting that day. He worked hard all day, right? Physical labor. And he walked in, he would walk in, and he would be pink or not pink, use blue or whatever color, right? He would walk in. And so, and so this day, my brother's sitting in front of the TV, 
my mom is talking to him about getting this paper done for English. And she's saying, you need to turn off the TV because you got to write this paper. And, and as the door opens, my, my brother doesn't see him. My dad hears this transaction. And, he, and she says, if you don't, Mrs. So-and-so called, and she says, if you don't turn this paper in, you're going to flunk the class. As my dad steps in, he hears, my bro- he hears that, and he hears my brother say, so what? My dad was not very happy with that. He grabbed the back of my brother's shirt and chunked him out of the house. He landed on the ground and stood up. And my dad looked. We were putting new shingles on the top of this little house, cedar shake shingles. And so there's a little board here, right? A thin board. My dad looked over there and grabs that board, grabs my, my brother, and whack, you know, on his butt. My brother hit the ground and yelled, Oh, God! Oh, God! And my dad said, You better pray. <laughs> and he picked him up, whack, whacked him again. He hit the ground. He gave him about three good whacks. And my brother will tell you to this day, that was the turning point in his life. That was the turning point in his life. And he thanks our father that he loved him enough to not allow him to speak to our mother that way, to choose a path of rebellion and sloth, but instead to be trained by discipline. The goal of my father is not, I want to hurt my son. The goal is, I want to help my son. And scripture is clear about how we help children. And And the writer says this, we've all been disciplined by our sons and we respected them for it, Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Earthly fathers give life to human children. Our Heavenly Father has given life to us, spiritual children. He has caused us to be born again. We are children of God. And so in the same way that we respect our fathers for disciplining us, shouldn't we respect our Heavenly Father for disciplining us as well when these trials and these challenges come? He is disciplining us. He is helping us to endure in our Christian walk. Eric Little said this, the great um, Olympic runner from Scotland, I believe. He said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. Eric Little knew, it's like, this is what God has created me to do. I am created to run and to run with abandon, to run with discipline, to run fast. And when I do that, I know that's what God has created me for. I feel God's pleasure. Back to my story earlier about Jack McBroom, who was an endurance runner, who broke a record for running all 15, uh, 15, 14,000-foot mountains. The end of the story is, is... is sad because that man, Jack McBroom, was my, my youth pastor. And Jack McBroom was a diligent runner, an endurance athlete who could endure incredibly physically. But my youth pastor did not endure spiritually. Later in life, he, he abandoned the faith. He gave up. He changed his mind about Jesus about the virgin birth, about the resurrection, everything. He threw it all away. He did not endure. He could endure physically, but he could not endure spiritually. So my encourage to you today, and the encourage from Hebrews is this. Don't 
give up. Don't give up. Endure. Run. And my prayer for you, brothers and sisters, you will be like Eric Little. We will run with joy, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and that every one of you will burst through that finish line with arms raised and and fall into the loving arms of Jesus Christ, who has run that race before us. May you run today. And if you need help running, talk to one of the elders or one of your brothers and sisters that's sitting around you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Well, Lord, we know you are, a, you are a great God. And we know that uh, each of us, if we're human, and if in the sound of my voice, we have suffered. We have had trials. We have had challenges. We have had heartache. Lord, but you know every single thing that we've faced. And we're encouraged today to hear from your word that we can endure And we can run this race of faith because of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. Help us to take our eyes off ourselves. Help us to take our eyes off the track, but to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who has run this race for us and before us. And because he has done this, we can do it as well. Lord, help us. Help us in this. We love you today. And we commit ourselves to you again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.